0: Hi, this is Father Neil here, and welcome to the June 17th episode of the podcast Catechism with Father Neil. Today we'll be looking at Numbers 1333 through 1336 of the Catechism. 3. The Eucharist in the Economy of Salvation. The Signs of Bread and Wine. 1333. At the heart of the Eucharistic celebration are the bread and wine. That, by the word of Christ and the invocation of the Holy Spirit, become Christ's body and blood. Faithful to the Lord's command, the Church continues to do in his memory, and until his glorious return, what he did on the eve of his Passion. He took bread, taking a chalice filled with the fruit of the vine. The signs of bread and wine become, in a way, surpassing understanding the body and blood of Christ. They continue also to signify the goodness of creation. Thus in the offertory we give thanks to God, to the Creator, for the bread and wine, fruit of the work of human hands, but above all as fruit of the earth and of the vine, gifts of the Creator. The Church sees in the gesture of the King Priest Melchizedek, who brought out bread and wine, a prefiguring of her her own offering. 1334. In the Old Covenant, bread and wine were offered in sacrifice among the first fruits of the earth as a sign of grateful acknowledgement to the Creator. But they also received a new significance in the context of the Exodus. The unleavened bread that Israel eats every year at Passover commemorates the haste of the departure that liberated them from Egypt. A remembrance of the manna in the desert will always Recall to Israel that it lives by the bread of the word of God. Their daily bread is the fruit of the promised land, the pledge of God's faithfulness to his promises. The cup of blessing at the end of the Jewish Passover meal adds to the festive joy of wine an eschatological dimension, the messianic celebration of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. When Jesus instituted the Eucharist, he gave a new and definitive meaning to the blessing of the bread and the cup. 1335. The miracles of the multiplication of the loaves, when the Lord says the blessing breaks and distributes the loaves through his disciples to feed the multitude, prefigure the superabundance of this unique bread of his Eucharist. The sign of water turned into wine at Cana already announces the hour of Jesus's glorification. It makes manifest the fulfillment of the wedding feast in the Father's kingdom where the faithful will drink the new wine that has become the blood of Christ. 1336. The first announcement of the Eucharist divided the disciples just as the announcement of the Passion scandalised them. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? The Eucharist and the cross are stumbling blocks. It is the same mystery and it never ceases to be an occasion of division. Will you also go away? The Lord's question echoes through the ages as a loving invitation to discover that only he has the words of eternal life, and that to receive in faith the gift of this Eucharist is to receive the Lord Himself. Okay, so today we're looking at um what are the um uh, what is the Eucharist made up of? So yesterday we were looking at the different names, we were looking at the Thanksgiving, but again it's not Thanksgiving in general. I mean, you can thank God for many things. You know, and there's nothing wrong with thanking God for many things. We should thank God for many things. But in the Eucharist, this thanksgiving takes place over bread and wine. That the priest gives thanks to God over a chalice, a cup of wine, and bread. A loaf of bread, or a bread, um, um, you know, a, a, a host, or some form of legitimate bread, and that these are the um, the centre of the Eucharist. This, um, the, this, these two signs. Again, we're using the liturgical language that we looked at uh, a couple of weeks ago with the um, introduction to the liturgy. Uh, what uh, and these signs, these liturgical signs, uh, are very important, and it's important that you can't have. In fact, if you don't have bread or wine, you can't celebrate the Mass. And even if you only have one or the other, you can't do it. I mean, I remember reading about the um, the colonisation of, of, of Florida, the, the Spanish colony of uh, Florida, which is now the US state, uh, that it was um, that the priests who were coming over, the people who were coming over, um, the, the party to colonise, to found St. Augustine and the different missions that made up what is... Uh, the first European settlement in what is today uh, the southern U.S. um, was um, uh, that they they, they lost the wine on the journey, the voyage from Spain. So although they had something like half a dozen priests with them, they couldn't, and they had bread galore, they had as much bread as they wanted, they had as many hosts as they wanted, they had the vestments, they had the altar stone, they had the books, they had everything they needed, but they didn't have wine, and um, so they, they couldn't celebrate the Eucharist. In fact, this is what gave birth to California's wine industry. That the, the need to have wine for to celebrate Mass was what uh, the reason that they brought over grapes. That now, I suppose, many people enjoy the California wines for many other reasons. But in their origins, it was to provide for, for, for the Eucharist. It was to provide what was necessary. And so the church has always had these signs, which, again, Jesus took bread and wine and he didn't take bread and wine because they were what were on sale, what were on special in the, in the shop that day. It wasn't that he sent the apostles out to a store and said, get whatever is cheap, get whatever is a good deal. It um, you know, wasn't this. This isn't why he's using bread and wine at the Last Supper. He uses them because already there's a long history in Israel of using these elements, of using bread, of using wine in a religious, in a cultic, in a liturgical setting that as um, we see Melchizedek brings out this this mysterious figure Melchizedek who is this priest king in the Old Testament who interacts with Abraham and uh, he brings out um, and people see him as a figure of Christ himself uh, that Abraham does homage to him but he brings out bread and wine and they see it as a foreshadowing of the mass but then in the in the, the Passover the Passover celebration that the Jews celebrate every year, you have bread and wine and the Catechism very much links the foundation of the Eucharist with the Jewish Passover. We see that a little bit more in the, in the future, but that this bread and wine are not casual elements. It's not bread and wine because, I don't know, you couldn't find something else. No, it's bread and wine because these have a special meaning, a special meaning for Israel, a special meaning then for the church and that we can't substitute them. Some people think, well, if Jesus had been born in, I don't know where, he would have used uh, something else. He would have used um, rice and sake, or he would have used uh, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a can of Dr. Pepper. No, no, Jesus wasn't born somewhere else. First of all, they're religious foods to start with. So they're not just any old food. They're not just popular foods, they're religious foods. And secondly, because of the incarnation, Jesus was born in a specific place. He wasn't born in Japan. Nothing against Japan, but he wasn't born there. He wasn't born in Kentucky. He wasn't born in Dublin. He wasn't born, you know, he wasn't born in Manila. He was born in Israel, in the land of Israel, in the Holy Land. That is where he was born and he was born a Jew and therefore he is working within the Jewish context and taking this Jewish context and perfecting it and giving it a fullness of meaning and using this to give to us. So in the Eucharist, these signs of bread and wine are fundamental. The church cannot survive without them, that we need them for the celebration of the mass. If they're missing, it's not a mass. If they're missing, it's, it's, it's not. You can have all sorts of nice celebrations. You can do prayers, you can do Bible study, you can do lots of things that are very nice, but you can't celebrate the Eucharist if you don't have bread and wine. Then we see afterwards you need a priest, you need the, the proper liturgical forms and all the rest of it. But the fundamental thing is to get the bread and the wine, and that this is what we're being uh, that this is what we're being told in this section. And tomorrow we'll continue. So tomorrow we'll look at numbers thirteen thirty-seven through thirteen forty-four. God bless.